Okay, I'm going to start with a quote that you said on Sunday. Oh, boy. (laughs) You said, we abuse our spiritual gifts when our encouragement supersedes the church's edification. Mm. So you had talked about spiritual gifts this Sunday, and you said, you know, the spiritual gifts, it's, it's not a vending machine. Yeah. So talk to us about Sunday's message. Give us a recap of 14. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, if, if you look at like chapter 12, where he's painting this picture of this metaphor of the body and how all the parts need each other, then 13, we talked about how that's the lifeblood of the body. You know, love is the motivating force yep. behind how everything should operate it. Then now in 14, he's kind of he's kind of diagnosing the problem. You know, he's kind of saying... Why are your spiritual gifts not resulting in the edification that they should be in the church? And he's like, because you're not exercising them through love. You're not exercising them for the good of others. You're you're exercising them to be seen by other people. You know, you're exercising mm-hmm. them to have this exciting experience. You're exercising them to to feel impressive or to feel spiritual or things like that. And so we really talked about how that reality of lovingly exercising our spiritual gifts means that other people's good is more important than ours. Right. Like they were self-focused. They needed to get others focused and that sort of idea. And so we we just kind of walked through this text. And I recognize the first Corinthians 14 can be a little bit challenging. It deals with tongues. It deals with prophecy. It's debated over those those issues and how this all plays out. But I actually don't think that the main thrust is that confusing. Like when you when you think about it, I mean, he uses illustrations and he uses things. It's it's pretty straightforward. He's saying like, okay, see, let me let me put some principles out here for you. And these are the three that we tried to walk through on Sunday. The first was that the corporate edification was more preferable than individual encouragement. I don't think it's that Paul's like, well, I don't want you to grow up as individuals. Like Paul, it's not that Paul's like criticizing individual spiritual maturity. That's not his point. Yeah. But he's saying is your individual spiritual maturity is actually getting inhibited by the fact that you guys are all focusing on yourselves. Mm-hmm. Get it off of yourselves. Look at other people. Exercise your gift for their good. And if you start prioritizing what is edifying to the corporate gathered church, you're going to be more edified too. He's saying it's like an exercise in futility. Mm-hmm. You're just focusing on the wrong thing. So we talked about the corporate edification being more important than the individual encouragement. Then in the middle section with the whole thing wrestling with tongues and a tongue and prophecy and how does this work, I don't think what he's trying to do is he's trying to build up prophecy as like this super gift that everyone should only aspire to prophecy and that tongues is not important. That makes I think that's very clear throughout the rest of the chapter. What he's trying to instead say is like, intelligibly ministering, ministering coherently, ministering rationally, ministering in a way that goes through the mind and the heart is better than just pursuing this emotionalism. You know, in the Roman culture, the Greek culture of the day, they would have tried to whip themselves up into mm-hmm. kind of an emotional yeah. experience. And and to be perfectly honest, a lot of times drugs and drink were mm-hmm. involved to get you sure. to that point, right? Sure. In these sort of worship of the gods. Mm-hmm. And, and though we don't tend to think in those same sort of terms, we can be guilty of the same sort of thing in church today where we kind of try to get people emotionally riled up. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's anything wrong with emotion. But he's like, the point is it needs to go through the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. If you have to check the head of the door, there's something going on. If yeah. you have to check the word at the door, you've got a problem. And so, so he encourages them to prefer prophecy that's intelligible, that's understandable and rational over these tongues only because nobody's interpreting. 
Right. Right. If the tongues can be interpreted, then it's fine because then it's actually helping the church. And so he's saying intelligible ministry is preferable to this ecstatic experience that they're pursuing in their Christian walk. And then lastly, he addresses what happens if an unbeliever comes in. Like what, what would be undermined in the church if you've got an unbeliever that walks in? And he says, gospel clarity is more important than insider actualization. Like I realize you, you like this environment and you're all feeling really excited by speaking in your tongues and by encouraging each other and, and this sort of thing. But think about it this way. If, a, if an unbeliever comes into your church, they're going to think you're all nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's, that's really what mm-hmm. Paul is saying here. He's just like, because it doesn't make any sense to them, they're not going to be built up. They're not going to be convicted. They're not ultimately going to repent and turn to Christ and worship God. Yeah. Instead, they're going to run that, away. When you said that, it made me think of, and I think you touched on it, you know, we've all seen it on TV. Those those late night uh, revivals, so to speak, on TV where you can't understand anything. So when you said that, I figured, yeah, that makes so much sense. If an unbeliever were to walk in on that. What does, how does that help them hear about the gospel of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even as believers, we can look at some of that stuff and go, I still don't know what's going on. Right. Like, right. And so it's like, if, if it doesn't even make sense to the insiders, it's mm-hmm. definitely gonna make, not going to yeah. make sense to those that are outside yeah. the church that don't understand what's taking place. And it's ironic, again, that, that people will take 1 Corinthians 14 and make it a justification mm-hmm. for certain strange activities like that. Mm-hmm. When as the to very why that's- har- quote unquote wrong versus no no let's look at it's just not comprehensive. Yeah, yeah. As you know, as opposed to trying to be like that's exactly opposite of what Paul's trying to right. say. He's trying to say like <laughs> what you need to do is you need to have it make sense so that people yeah. can actually be edified and encouraged by it. And so you put those sort of priorities and you start thinking through like when I engage with the church and the the corporate nature of the church and am, am I prioritizing kind of the corporate upbuilding or am I all about me? Am I prioritizing like clear, intelligible ministry or I'm, am I seeking this emotional experience for me? Am I prioritizing gospel clarity mm-hmm. for those that are unbelievers or am I all about me? You know, I mean, that's, that's where this rub really occurs yeah. where it's like love is about the other person. Love is about what's glorifying to Christ not chiefly about what's serving to me, what's a vending machine, right? You know, it's like, yeah. I'm going to put in my spiritual right. money, you know, I'm going to do my yeah. devotionals, like I'm going to do analogy. my disciplines, and I should get out of it this sort of whatever my conception of of mm-hmm. spiritual engagement is, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like, no, 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 it looks like this. It doesn't yeah. look like that. What hit me is something you said was, because we can get so caught up in emotion, right? And yeah. we're living in a culture of, well, if you feel one way, then that's how, that's you. You go mm-hmm. do that. You go do you. Mm-hmm. But you said, stop chasing mountaintop experiences. Not that emotions are bad, but <laughs> that can't be the driving force. Yeah, that's that's just it. It's There is there is an idea within Christian circles, and I think you saw it a little bit maybe like in the Puritans, this stoicism, that having no emotion is somehow the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. Well, that's not true either, right? Like mm-hmm. David was not some stoic that mm-hmm. just sat around, you know, and was never emotional about anything. I mean, you read the Psalms that he wrote, you hear how he gets in trouble with his wife because he's out there dancing and praising God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like Christianity, believing in God is not some stoic religion mm-hmm. where you try to minimize all emotion, yeah. but that emotion should come from truth. Yeah. Like truth should inspire the emotion. And I, I think we do buy into this idea that we can kind of bypass the head and go straight to the heart mm-hmm. when it comes to people. And it's, it's going, no, it, like the, 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 the scriptures are meant to engage with both. Yeah. 
Right. Like the scriptures are meant to inform our emotions, but they're they're supposed to transform our minds. Like that's why we quoted from Romans 12, that yeah. idea of not being conformed to the world, but being transformed through the renewal of your mind. Mm-hmm. And that renewal of your mind should shape your emotions. It should shape your reactions. It should inspire praise and, and love and affection and all sorts of different things. But the minute you start bypassing the head, you open yourselves up to yeah. all sorts of really strange things. Yeah. The thing you mentioned several times is, I didn't hear you say anything negative against tongues. It's it's context, it's situation, and but you kept bringing it back to prophecy, also teaching, right? Bringing yep. the word of God yep. to life where we are currently builds up the church. Yep, that's that's the conviction and accountability. Yeah, and I I think that's where you start getting into context, like. Where are these things and when are these things and how do these things function? Mm-hmm. That becomes so critical because I, I don't think Paul here, again, he's not trying to create this tiered system of spiritual gifts that would right. go entirely against chapter 12, mm-hmm. where if he's like, okay, well, prophecy is the super gift mm-hmm. and if everybody should just be a prophet, right. right? That's what we should all aspire to. Right. And, you know, those of you that are immature should speak in tongues. That's not whole, that isn't his point at all. His point is that you need all of these, but your goal should be to build up the church. Mm-hmm. So... You covered a lot of material on Sunday. <laughs> yes, yes. You probably had a few points that you wish you would have gotten to. What In the, in this part of the podcast, we like to say, what's your five more minutes? So what's yeah. your five more minutes on 1 Corinthians 14 that you would you would have liked to have been able to share? I, t- I tipped my hat a little bit of, to it last week is the, the greater arc of Scripture mm-hmm. related to this um, that obviously there wasn't time for in the message. You know, but I think if, if we pull back the lens and see the way Scripture is heading in holistic nature, we kind of see a reinforcement of Paul's argument here, why he quotes from Isaiah 28, where all of this is going. And so let me just walk, if, if our listeners are, are okay with me geeking out here just yeah. for a moment, let me, let me try to walk through the way I see this trajectory playing itself yeah. out through Scripture. Which also probably plays into our next question of application. Yes, so yes. I think this be, is critical. This will be a two-for-one here. I think this is critical. I, I tend to think of Scripture in terms of the narrative of Scripture is you know creation, fall, redemption, then restoration or mm. glory. Right, this, this idea that we see of the story throughout Scripture. And so if you follow that same sort of narrative, mm-hmm. but you think in terms of language, let me try to give you an idea of how we see this play out. Okay. Right in, in Genesis 11, right before the Tower of Babel, we see kind of a, a reiteration of the way things were originally created. In Genesis 11, verse 1, we see, now the whole earth had one language mm-hmm. and the same words. It takes the time to call that out, mm-hmm. right, to say that. Now, we've had the fall at this moment, mm-hmm. but there's a reality that God created mankind to be in perfect fellowship with him and to with relate correctly to one another, yeah. to be able to be in communion and fellowship yeah. and relationally engaged with each other, right? There's this unity from that reality. Well, what do we happen? Or what do we see we happen? We see the fall take place. Mm-hmm. We see mankind's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. We also see that here in Genesis 11. Let mm-hmm. me just read the, this next section. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower on its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So this 
common language, this common unity gets twisted into self-glorification. Yes. This is the same thing we see in 1 Corinthians, right? We're going to see that here in just a minute, right? So you see this kind of repeat of the fall, this repeat of rebellion that man is expressing their sinful rebellion against God. So what does God do? God comes in and he brings judgment, verses 5 through 9. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is the only beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. <laughs> and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So God comes down. And he judges them for the fact that they're unified, but not unified behind his leadership. They're unified behind their own Mm -hmm. Mm self-glorification. And he causes confusion in their languages. So I need to split these people up. Right? I can't even imagine what that would be. Yeah, yeah right. Like I, just the craziness of being like, well, you're working one minute and then the next minute you're like, I can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's madness. It, it is madness. Right? So he's like, okay, so you've got this problem because you're worshiping yourselves through the use of your language and your unity. He confuses them. Now, what do we see undone if we flip forward in our Bibles to Acts 2 and Acts 10, some of the passages that I referenced? Okay, so, so we've seen creation. We've seen this fall. We've seen God's judgment on this fall. And then we have Christ coming in in the Gospels, right? Christ comes in. He he pays the penalty for our sin. He redeems man back to himself. He opens the door of salvation. And then in Acts 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to execute this through the people, right? And, And what do we see? We see this inversion in many ways of the Tower of Babel, right? right? The people were dispersed under the judgment of God. All of a sudden, what you have in Acts 2 is you have unity behind Christ and you have tongues being spoken so that the world from every tribe, tongue, and nation can begin to understand God. And so in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, you see this really interesting thing, right? Uh, In verse 5. Now there was a dwelling in Jerusalem, or now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heaven. And at the sound of the, of, or at this sound, the multi, that's the coming of the Spirit, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Confusion, right? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished. Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? And then it goes on to this extensive list of all the different peoples and all the different languages and everything. And they were amazed and perplexed. And they're saying one to one another, what does this mean? Right? So, like, we see this idea of through the gospel, through Christ coming, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is bringing people back together from these diverse languages Mm -hmm. under the authority and headship of Christ Mm -hmm. in his church. Mm -hmm. Okay? And this is the trajectory that starts to this tongues becomes this gap-bridging way that new peoples that can't understand the gospel in their own language can understand the gospel, this... this, uh, beachhead ministry of going into these new cultures. Now, where is this all directed? Where is this all heading? So we've seen this creation. We've seen this fall. We've seen God bring in judgment. We've seen this redemption through the person and work of Christ. And all of this is heading the direction of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 speaks to this restoration of worship. And in Revelation chapter 5, right, we have this idea of the lamb before the throne, right? And the question is asked, who's worthy to open this scroll? Who is the one that is worthy? And we sing this song all the time in church. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, right? Everything we've talked about so far, Christ coming, the lamb is Christ, from every tribe and 
language, mm-hmm. every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This restoration back to what Adam and Eve were supposed to do originally yes. in the garden in chapter yes. 1 and 2 of Genesis. And then they say in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then they go on, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Through this, under Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, these diverse people who have been separated because they've been in rebellion against God are now unified behind Christ. They are now in a line with what the Holy Spirit is causing them to do, and they are worshiping God. Yeah. So this is the trajectory of all of Scripture, and we see this played out even in the languages, right? Mm -hmm. There was unity in creation, but then the fall brought in this rebellion, and God had to judge it and confuse the people. Mm -hmm. Well, then this restoration comes through the gospel, or this redemption comes through the gospel, and this restoration of appropriate worship in every language and tongue is unified under God. And it's just like that's the trajectory of the entirety of Scripture. Mm -hmm. That's where this has all been going, and that's what makes the misunderstanding of the first Corinthian or the, yeah. the Corinthians and First Corinthians such a problem. Yeah. Because they are engaging in the same sort of self centered, mm-hmm. self exalting yeah. worship of themselves. Self focused. Do you see it there? You saw it in the Old Testament. Bingo. Yeah. And and what is happening in their church? When they get to be all about themselves in rebellion against God, yep. there's confusion. Yes. <laughs> there's confusion and there's people disorder and there's fractures. And these people over here are doing this thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Paul says that is not why you were given spiritual yeah. gifts. Yeah. You were given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Mm-hmm. And so there is an appropriateness to using tongues to bring people under the banner of Christ. But when your church gathers together, don't make it about us versus them. Make it about prophesying and building up the believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of the reason I would say like that idea of um, Paul's, Paul's point he makes there of, of tongues being for the unbeliever, right? That, that this, is, this is the ministry here, mm-hmm. but prophecy is for the building up the believer. It unifies the believer. It matures the believer. It unites us and helps us to worship God better. Yeah, and I just see this, hearing you talk again, this running theme not for ourselves, right? Yes. Early on in Corinthians, we talked about winning a brother back, not for ourselves, yes, but for their spiritual well-being and spiritual gifts, not for us. That's exactly it. But for others. So. That's exactly it. And that orientation toward Christ and yeah. toward worship that we've mentioned a few times is really the trajectory where this yeah. is all going. You know, looking forward to the day when one day people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be united worshiping God in heaven. I just... If you, we we can't even fathom, but if we can just stop and picture that, I just that always gives me goosebumps. Yes, what an amazing and, amazing day. And if you think about the local church as this outpost of heaven, you know, this embassy of heaven, proclaiming heavenly kingdom truths here on earth today, then you understand why the Corinthians operating the way they were was such an affront yeah. to what God is trying to do in the church. He's saying you are not representing to this world, to the mm-hmm. people watching, to the outsider that comes in, yep. what I am doing here through this people in yeah. the direction that Scripture is headed. That's great. Next Sunday, 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Two yeah. more chapters left. Yeah, we do. We have a, 
I won't be preaching this Sunday. Okay. Um, we've got a guest coming in, Brad okay. Orda from Country Bible is going to come in and he's going to cover the second half of chapter 14, uh, which you'd be in- inclined to think was because I didn't want to preach on that, <laughs> on that text. So there's some, there's some tricky could, stuff there. One could maybe draw that conclusion. Yes, yes, that is not it. I, I am in the throes of, of a finals yeah. week trying to write a paper and trying to yeah. take a final and sure. all sorts of madness. But I, I totally trust Brad. He's going to do a good job with it. I've talked to him about it and yeah. he and I are very aligned on where it's going. Um, but there's, there's a few things that come up in 1 Corinthians 26 or 14, 26 through 40 that are probably worth noting. Number one, he's going to highlight this idea of peace over confusion again. Mm-hmm. Right? God is not a God of confusion. He's right. a God of peace. Yeah. What does that look like? He's going to talk about gender roles. He's going to come back to around to that theme, which we've touched okay. on in chapter 11 mm-hmm. um, earlier here in 1 Corinthians. And then he's going to talk about how everything should be done decently and in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of when the church gathers together, these are some of the guiding principles is what Brad's really going to talk a lot about. And the heart of it, I think you really find in, um, for our listeners, in addition to like reading 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, yeah. which would be great, I would encourage you to read um, Romans 15, 1 through 7. Okay, Romans This 15. idea of welcoming one another. And there's some interesting things that I think we see parallels in in Romans uh, chapter 15 that I think would be encouraging to okay. our leaders, our listeners as well. So next week we're going to sit down and recap it. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a review of Brad's sermon. That doesn't feel quite right. But yeah, we'll we'll go back through it. We'll take a look at it. And and I think it'll be an encouragement to people. So I'd encourage them to come and enjoy Brad's preaching on Sunday. Okay, sounds good. Well, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recaps.